Hello, welcome to the Quarter of the Games Podcast for January 20, what is it, 27th, 2016. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not However, if you're the kind of guy who ever had Magic the Gathering as your game of the week, you're in the right place. Uh, I am going to talk this week to a fellow named Eddie Boxerman, who has designed and begun a Kickstarter campaign for a really cool head-to-head card game. It's actually a kind of a deck builder. Uh, it's very interactive. It's very much uh, two people slugging it out. Uh, and don't let this dissuade you. It was a little, uh, it was an, a bit of an initial obstacle for me. I was like, oh, I don't know that I care to play a game about that. It's about reincarnating. Uh, you begin as a dung beetle, and you eventually uh, transcend humanity and become, uh, I don't know, a, a transcendent being. Uh, but it's really not. Uh, that's just a gameplay mechanic. It's not really about reincarnation. Uh, what what happens is when you sit down to play it. Let's say, as a matter of fact, that you and I are going to sit down and play. It's called Karmica, by the way. Uh, let's say you and I are going to sit down to play it. I put down on the table a little board, and we each have a, a colored uh, little dude on it that represents where we are in the ladder of reincarnation. There's a little picture of a dung beetle, and above that there are these snakes. Above that there are these wolves. Then there are these monkeys that seem like, hey, they're figuring out how to learn tools. And then at the top... There's a glowy being in the lotus position. Uh, think Hugh Jackman at the end of the fountain. So you, immediately, you see this little ladder, and you put your dude at the bottom where the dung beetle is, and what you're trying to do is ascend these, what is it, one, two, three, four, ascend these four steps to become a transcendent human. There's a little number between each of the steps. So you know exactly how many points there is that it takes to, to go up one level. And you get a hand of six cards. Pretty straightforward. With that hand of six cards, on your turn, you're just going to play a card. Also, very straightforward. There are three things you can do with that card. You can either play it for points. There's three colors in this game. There's red, blue, and green cards. Uh, and when you play them in front of you, you only score the, the color that makes the most points. So if I'm just throwing down a bunch of green, a bunch of blue, a bunch of red cards, that's the wrong way to go. I just want to go, for, I want to focus on one color. Uh, so when I'm looking at my hand of cards, I want to play cards for points on the table that will get me to the next level. Early on, when I'm a dung beetle, that's easy to do. It's not hard to go from a dung beetle to a snake, please. Later in the game, to go from tool-using monkeys to transcendent divine beings, that takes more points. It's going to take more thought. You're going to have to finesse which cards you're using a little bit more carefully. So the cards in my hand, that's one way I can use them. Another way I can use them is each time that I go up a level from Dung Beetle to Snake. Or even, by the way, if I don't go up a level, when I run out of cards in my hand, I am going to, like a deck builder, take a discard pile, shuffle it, put it in my hand. That discard pile is called my future life. And the cards in my hand I can play to my discard pile, to my future life. And I play them face down to where you over there, you don't see what I've put down there. You don't know what tools, what colors uh, I'm saving for my next hand. There's a little bit of planning ahead there. 
The third thing I can do with my card, and this is where Karmica really uh, comes into its own, is every card, in addition to having a color and a point value, has a special ability on it. And this is all very thematic stuff. Uh, either I mess with your future life, or I draw extra cards, or I somehow accelerate my cards, or I maybe copy the ability of a card that I had played for points. All kinds of tricky deck-building card gimmicks. Uh, and where Karmica is, stands apart is when I play this card, and I hit you with some ability, or I help myself with some ability, or I change something in the game that, that helps me somehow... Whenever I play this card, I then have to offer it to you to put into your future life pile, your discard pile. In other words, I have to give you the option to use it on your next round, on your next life. Uh, so Karmica uses this conceit. Uh, very simple to explain, very simple to pick up. And one of the cool things about it is as you play it, you, you, can, you can learn the rules, you can read the rules, and think, yeah, okay, I see how this works. As you play it, it really does reveal uh, a, a, a unique dynamic. Like, you won't really know how this feels until you're actually playing it. Uh, and I was fortunate enough that Eddie Boxerman, he sent me an email and said, hey, I'm, I'm doing this Kickstarter. Can I trouble you to look at a prototype of the game and then maybe write up a promotional blurb for my campaign? Uh, when I hear this, and every now and then I get an email to that effect, I, I'm a little leery because I'm concerned about, eh, what if this isn't a good game? And unfortunately, a lot of nascent, a lot of new developers uh, don't make necessarily good games on their, their first try. Uh, this wasn't Eddie's first try, but uh, this, he's certainly a, a sort of a new developer. So uh, I'll always say, yeah, you know, send it along. I'd love to take a look. And I think, with maybe one exception, most of the prototypes I've gotten are a little rough, and I don't really feel like... Uh, putting my, uh, endorsing them, so to speak. Uh, so this was an exception. He sent it to me. Uh, I've played it head-to-head -head with a couple of friends. You can play it uh, with three or four players, although I think it's it's definitely stronger with two players. Uh, and I wrote him a little blurb that, that is on the Kickstarter campaign. So if you go there and you scroll down, you'll eventually see a comment from me. Uh, and I would encourage you to go there. Uh, it's spelled Karmica, like karma with a K-A at the end, K-A-R-M-A-K-A. It's pronounced Karmica. Uh, this is difficult for me to remember. I was like, Karmica, Karmaka. Uh, just say Karma Chameleon, and then cut off the Amelian part, Karmica. Uh, so I encourage you to uh, check out the, the campaign page at Kickstarter. You'll get all the information you need there. But I also encourage you to stick around as I, as I talk to Eddie about this game. Uh, and if that doesn't sell you on it, so be it. This isn't the game for you. All right, uh, stick around. I'll, I'll be back after my conversation with Eddie Boxerman. Uh, Eddie, my, my favorite mechanic in Karmica, uh, and you just told me, Car Karmica. Karmica, I did it right, yeah. Correct? Karmica. My favorite mechanic in Karmica, uh, and I suspect you know this about people, uh, is that when you use a card, you know, whether it's to, to, to my benefit or to attack someone else, I have to offer it to the other guy that I'm playing against. Right. Uh, and he or she is going to be able to use it the next round. Uh, am I correct in thinking that that was maybe the whole foundation for this game design? Uh, or, or was this something that came later? This seems like something that you thought, hey, wouldn't that be cool? And you built an entire game around it. Am I close? Uh, part, part of it, yes, and part of it, no. 
So the concept of a player's future life um, sort of being the, you know, it, it definitely, that has its origins in some, you know, influenced by deck building games that, you know, your discard pile, in this case, it's phased down, you know, like your future life. And then when this life is over, essentially this, you know, you're out of cards, then you get to, yeah, basically you reincarnate. And then that future life, that discard pile becomes your new hand. So that future life was part of the design from day one. The, the, um, that sort of migration of cards that when you play a card, the other player then gets it in their future life. That came, I would say, six months after the design. We thought we had ah. a 100% finished design before <laughs> that mechanic ever showed up. And I'll explain. Um, and based real quick, Eddie, like based that at that point, it was a game about reincarnating. It was still a game about reincarnation, it, right? It was, yeah. The multiple lives. Okay. It's um, you know you can imagine sort of a deck building game where every time you reshuffle your discard pile into your new deck, that's like saying, okay, right. that life was over, new life, yeah. right? So, but it, and I just find it hard to believe that, that that you didn't from the beginning have this whole concept of karma. You know, if I do something we, to someone, we did. We did. Okay. So the concept of karma was there, but it was implemented very differently. Uh, it was a lot. It was more complicated, uh, not conceptually, like in terms of the rules, but in its implementation, in terms of each card. Each card had its own karmic cost. So every card had this, um, had uh-huh. two things on it. It had right. the ability of the card, and then it had this secondary cost, which is something that would happen when you played the card. And so every card was different. And so we had things that were a little more nuanced, like let's say you have, like there's a card in the game that says you can draw three cards. Uh, This card used to say you may draw three cards and then your opponents may each draw a card. And that was an instant karma cost to to playing it. Or, you know, you you get to take out two deeds of another player. You have to sacrifice a deed. Uh, there were also negative point cards, so you could lose points oh. on the board, but there's a karmic cost to it. And that karmic cost would actually be something good. You know, it wasn't always like a cost in the sense of you know, always a bad thing. Sometimes you could take like the point hit and actually have a good uh, effect as a result. The colors were there. So, so anyways, th- so the whole thing of karma and the multiple lives was there. But we ended up finding it a little complicated that each card had its own, well, basically double the text on every card. Sure, yeah. And we thought, at one point, the idea just popped up of, hey, how about just every card we just has this more generic cost, which is the other player gets it into their future once you've played it, and we can get rid of half the text on all of the cards. And that just, and so we tried it, and that proved to be a really good win, you know, just like lowering the complexity of the game a lot. We made a few other uh, simplifications to the game at the same time. There was a sort of, we call it Karma V1, where we got, you know, quite a few months into the design of this game and polished it up, play tested it with a bunch of people, thought it was really good. Then we started blind testing it. We started finding that um, it was a little complicated, just a little too complicated. And we went back to the drawing board, took all the lessons we got from Karma V1, and we made what we called Quick Karma, <laughs> which, is, which is basically what, uh, what we're kickstarting now, which is this, you know, the, a simplified version of the game, which just plays more quickly and more, uh, more simply. Well, it's so um, like it's it's such a perfect example, Eddie, of immediate feedback and immediately understanding the consequences of something. And a lot of 
a lot of games, board games, computer games, whatever, there's this idea that you do something, and then several moves later, there's going to be a consequence. Mm-hmm. And being good at the game is understanding the link between what you did and what happens later in the game. In Karmica, it's so basic. I mean, that's just so elemental. Here's this card. Do you want to use it against me next round? Um, it's just a, an element of just kind of, why doesn't everyone do that? When, when I, when I <laughs> well, I, I guess just the theme and the, you know, and the structure yeah. going into that, that, that phase of the design of the game, just it kind of, it, it, like, again, it wasn't obvious to us at first either. You know, it sort of popped out after quite a lot of design iterations. Sure. So, yeah. It's like accidentally discovering penicillin. Or right? <laughs> yeah, like literally, I, I was I was there with the cards, with the cards that had both t- pieces of text on them, like the 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 main ability and the cost, and I just started trying to play like with a finished game, and then I started trying to play with those cards because suddenly I had all these tools and ingredients. I just sat down and just started trying different rules with them very quickly, and just like, how does this feel, and how does that feel, and then like at one point it was like, oh, okay, cards are just migrating back and forth between the two players and this became this real kind of, yeah, this karmic exchange. And I was like, oh, that feels really cool. And then yeah. they, they went back and redesigned each of the cards to try to fit that new mold. Now, I will say one of the things this does for me, Eddie, uh, you're selling it rightly, I believe, as a two-to-four-player game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've played it with, with both two and, and, and four players. Uh, I infinitely prefer it with two players <laughs> Because with four players, it gets a little bit messier, uh, and this is a consequence of just adding players to any game, but it gets a little bit messier about who's doing what to whom, and which guy took that card in his future life, and, you know, two players is just so snappy, and and even kind of brutal, uh, <laughs> And and even uh, there's this sense of, you know, do I want to start throwing a punch because it's going to come back at me? Uh, two players just, is just so – it's just one of the most directly interactive games that I think I've ever played for that purpose. Uh, it's just really two guys head-to-head. If, if you punch me, I'm going to be able to punch you back just as hard, so don't punch me. Well, I mean, there's with all with of a that. bit of a delay, right? And that's the – Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it ends yeah. up being all about the timing. Yeah. Well, and I find too, like that that struggle for that last leap from monkey to transcendent human, like then it's in a way a lot safer to do that sort of thing. Right. Well, uh, as long as it doesn't fail, and then you're <laughs> and then you're another round. Or there's that card. Is it transmigrate? But there's a card right. too, and 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 part of the beauty too is that you get to a point, the the, the pool of 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 cards that are in play in any given life or exchange feels, in a good way, just so limited um, mm-hmm. that each one seems just that much more important. Um, I think a lot of game design has this idea of, if I throw in a lot of nouns and verbs and a lot of pieces, mm-hmm. that makes the game better. But when there are fewer nouns and verbs and pieces, each noun, verb, or piece acquires that much more significance. And that's just one of the things I really appreciate about what you guys have done with what is basically a deck builder, where a deck consists of six cards. Um, nice. Yeah, no, everything you're saying, I'm like, wow. <laughs> totally. I, uh, I, yeah, no, you're, you're, it's like you're, you're speaking to my soul. Like, I, I mean, for, I'll, I'll, go, I'll hit those quickly in order, two players to four players. I feel exactly the same way. To me, the real sweet spot of this game is it's a two-player game. A lot of people tell me they like it better at three or four players, and I'm surprised by that 
but I don't want to dismiss that either, right? Like different people, you know, different different strokes. It definitely scales up to three or four, like fine. But for, I totally agree with you. Two two players is definitely the sweet spot in terms of being able to track the cards. Like my memory is not the greatest, but I can track one other player oh, yeah. and remember what I put in there. Now I know what you're going to have next life, and that kind of like, you know, of judo is uh, I find really entertaining and really, really, like, stimulating. And then... Um, well, wait, real quick, hold, hold that, that note, Eddie, because I want to say, I think, I suspect part of why some people might prefer four-player is it's not quite as brutal, and you can get away <laughs> with things a little easier, True. and you can get kind of lost in the shuffle. Like, you can do things and kind of slink away more easily. You can get away with more stuff, I feel, uh, with, with more players. Yeah, no, um, this is true. This is true. It's a lighter game as a result, because yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. it's a fuzzier game, yeah. Yeah. Less, less right, so, chess, more something else. <laughs> Four-player chess, right? Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> Where the other two players might pick on each other, and you can sit it out. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. In fact, we added a rule um, after the, um, I, we did a, a little sm- uh, short prototype run, uh, which is one of the, the, the copy that you've got is from that run. Um, and so so far, this, this is only like kind of a local and digitally transmitted new rule, which is... Uh, you cannot play cards on the player sitting opposite you. So in a four in a four player game, you can no longer play a card. You know, the, on the player, yeah, sitting across the table from you, you can only hit your opponent. Your, sorry, your neighbors. Yeah, I, there's a there's a, a an old card game I don't even know called uh, Jihad. It was later later called uh, Vampire, hmm. where it had that same conceit. People sit at a table, but you're only interacting with the guys to your left and right, yeah. and it creates this kind of balancing thing. Yeah, yeah we yeah. felt it's just a little less political, a little less king makey doing that. Right. Uh, you know, you, there's less possibility for gang up. Right. And w- now I'm sorry, I cut you off. Do you remember where you were going? Or I, yeah, I, I do. I, I remember you were saying, so you had also said something about like sort of the limited nouns and just like reducing it down to just a small number of pieces. Um, and I totally feel that way too. I, I mean, I, my, some of my favorite games are those like really simple, like elegant, like small rule sets, but complex strategy coming out of them. And like, that's definitely a design goal. And um, a lot of people are like, oh, more cards, you know, like I want to see more different cards. And like, I kind of felt the opposite. It's like, let's get this down to like the the canonical cards mm-hmm. for the rule system, you know, for this game. And it's like, okay, there's one card that can get a card back out of your future life. And there's like one card that can hit a player's deck, you know, and sort of just really whittle it down into some essentials. And, you know, that has two properties. One, uh, new players can get into the game really easily. There's only right. 23 unique cards in the whole game. Uh, some people are going to, you know, oh, more cards, more cards. You know, that's, a, that's a, something that, like, at least some gamers, you know, we, we hear that from. Um, but for me, like, I, yeah, I like that the ease of getting into the game, um, as well as just being able to do the calculations more easily. It's a... It, Somehow the, that that set of twenty three cards it took a, a while for us to converge on that exact set, and it just they, there's a nice interplay, and it's like usually if I'm doing a play, I'm like, all right, I think this is good because I know he has this and this and this. He's got one unknown card. If it's this one other card, okay, I know. Okay, then this might not work, but otherwise, I'm in good shape here. And you can really, you know, with the memory, the judo, the like, the small number of moves. It's a much more of a mind game, I find. And the meta, it's, you know, there's the concept of meta and all these card games. The meta is small, and, but it's still interesting, in my opinion. So, yeah. yeah. 
one of the things that I, I really enjoyed discovering, um, so, something about Karmica that, uh, that uh, it's not unique, but I love when a game does this, is I'll read the rules, and I'll think, yeah, okay, I kind of know where this is going, mm-hmm. I, I see what kind of game this is, and then I'll play it, and it will still surprise me. Even though I've read the rules, and I've understand, and I've gone through all the cards, and thought, okay, this does this, and this does this, and a lot of times when I get a game, I'll sort the pieces out. So when I got Karmica, I put like all the three colors and looked at each color, and kind of like, okay, these I understand this. Mm-hmm. But then when I started playing it, like completely different things that I didn't anticipate emerged. And, and one of them is, uh, it, it's not so clear cut. You, you have the three colors, and you characterize them, I think, as um, like like red is is punitive, wrathful. Actually, you know what? How do you? characterize the three colors. It's funny. Uh, they, they went through a bit of, a, of an evolution. The red, I think most is nihilistic. Okay, uh, right, not right. just destructive, because sometimes you're kind of doing things to yourself. You're almost like damaging yourself. But there's this concept of, you know, if you try to rush through a life, it's the game is a race. So sometimes you want to try to rush through a life. And so it's kind of like committing suicide, you know. And, and, and that, Eddie, by the way, is what I wanted to get at, mm-hmm. is that it's not a matter of the red cards aren't just attack. Right. Like sometimes you use them on yourself, and I didn't quite realize that until I actually got the game to the table. Right. Um, so, yeah, I like this idea that nihilism, it's not a matter of, you know, red is a fireball deck. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's way more nuanced than that. So, so go ahead. So red, you, cool. you characterize as nihilism. Yeah, red is nihilism. Uh, green... Green is sort of like bountiful, which, you know, you, I guess you'd expect that to be with green, but in a number of ways, like it, it's for acceleration, like being able to do things more quickly. Uh, it's also like sort of growth, you know, in the sense of like drawing more cards. It's also, I mean, it's, it's, in a way it's archetypal, but in a way it's also Magic the Gathering-ish, you know, in the sense of like, you can regrow things, you can get things out of the ruins, you know, you can draw more cards, you can, uh, yeah, do things more quickly. Um, well, before you move on to, to blue, because mm-hmm. blue is, is of course very Magic uh, the Gathering archetype. Mm-hmm. But, but the thing that the thing that I think of where I first realized, oh, it's not so simple as red is attack, green is help me. Right. Um, one of the cards that that my friend and I, and this I think now is part of our meta when we play it, um, longevity <laughs> is a hugely powerful attack card. It's, it's, oh my god! Yeah. Like I looked at that card and I thought. Oh yeah, this is to help me. No, longevity feels to me it's one of my favorite attack cards. Uh, yeah. And I've had a couple of games where it's that longevity card on that last round that decides who wins. It happens that way. It goes that way for sure. And it, it, it's a funny thing. It's not. It usually doesn't take people that long to realize um, longevity's let's say alternate or you know attack use. Yeah. But um, when people do, they're like. Oh, I'm gonna play this on you. <laughs> it's like it's a real moment in the game. Yeah, um, and, and that, by the way, I feel kind of it doesn't break, but that that makes me then want to think of another way to tell a new player what green is. <laughs> right. Because yeah. Bountiful is great, but sometimes when you have bountifulness inflicted on you, it it loses you the game. It, it does <laughs> exactly. It's like here, live longer right. in this game right. where you're trying to get through a bunch of lives. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not, and it's it's a bit of a. I mean, it it works within this rule set, but it also there was a little more of that kind of stuff in Karma V One, where there was a bit more like I'm going to give you something, and in some cases it really was I'm going to give you something that's 
sometimes really what you want. Sometimes if you get the timing right, not really of a, not really any help. You know, right. so it's always like if I give you this gift, but not at the, at, you know, an opportune moment for you, it's like kind of useless to you. But then I get my karma, my, my karmic feedback anyways for it because I did something nice. And so longevity has, yeah, is one of the cards in like in this version of the game. Uh, yeah, in Karmica that, uh, that has some of that, some of that feel to it. Now, before you move on to mm-hmm. Blue, um, that, that's another thing that I, I want to highlight that you just said. Uh, timing matters so much, mm-hmm. and that's kind of a, a no-brainer in any good game. Timing, of course, matters, but there's this great uh, – that's another part of the – not necessarily learning curve because it's easy to, to read the rules and think, okay, timing's important. But there's this great aha moment where you realize things like you know, making someone discard a deed card – Later rather than earlier is huge. <laughs> yeah. You know, you sit on that uh, spider or whatever it is that burns someone's deed card. You sit on that until late because you know that hurts differently depending on when you play it in, in their life. Exactly. Uh, yeah, once they're committed, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all of the cards have this like timing-based component, like that at different times they're differently important, which I also Absolutely, love. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Sometimes there's all a right. certain card in your hand which is like, oh, this is not of any use to me right now. And if you can give a, your your rival, you know, if you can play it when it is useful and know that your rival is going to have it when it's not useful, that right, right. I mean, that's the ideal timing. Right. It's right. funny, you know. It's like in a way, like the game has this very, at first glance, has this sort of zen kind of vibe to it, but it's like, it's a really tactical, <laughs> it's a very tactical game. Well, I, I have to admit, Eddie, when I first got the the uh, press about this, when you first sent an announcement and I, I got uh, an email, I kind of thought, um, every now and then I'll get an announcement about a, a video game or a board game that's clearly got some, like, faith-based bent to it, mm-hmm. uh, where, where somebody, and I admire this, someone who is religious and, and wants to put that worldview in, in gameplay mechanics. And I, I appreciate that. I don't look down my nose at it. But I right. kind of assumed, just reading briefly about Karmica, oh, this is a fellow who, he's probably Indian, and he was raised in India, and he just wants to create a game about his, his worldview. And his, uh, <laughs> right. So I kind of thought it was some sort of a Hindu faith-based initiative game. Yeah, it's uh, a very Western take on karma. It's really about karmic justice and yeah. and the multiple lives. You know, like that stuff is all baked into to the game, but it's a very uh what goes around comes around kind of take on on the, on on that on karma. So, uh before we get on to uh, I want you to talk about blue and how you characterize that. Mm-hmm. Um part of my issue with part of my thinking there what was the name of it? And I I asked you before we recorded yeah. how to to pronounce the name. You said, "Oh, that's something that we've had to sort of explain to people." Uh I'm just going to say this. I love the game. Uh, Eddie, I don't like the name. Uh, I, I feel bad about saying that. Don't, so, don't feel bad, uh, but I'll, I, I can tell you a story. But, uh, yes, please tell me a story. Please tell me a story about the name. Why sure. is this called Karmica? Because, well, okay, it was called just Karma. Okay. Two years ago, uh, and then it was called Karma up until last year, around this time, maybe a little later, uh, spring of 2014. For a year, that's what it was called. And then a game called Karma came out. Ooh. Yeah. And somebody sent me this, like, hey, have you seen this? 
and it had just come out. And I was like, what are the chances? How many years of game development? And like, then this just came out. And the, the best in the world, okay, the, the good news was it had nothing, it was, it was not nothing like our game. Right. Um, and in, from my perspective, like given the use that we were making of the theme of karma in, in, in our game, was like, no, we, this is, we, no, we need to, we need to name it karma, guys. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? And like, and I looked at their game and I'm like, you're not using, your game isn't about karma. And it's, 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 a, it's from the developers. I don't remember the name of the company now. It's, they made set. Um, I, I don't know that I know set. It sounds like an Egyptian god. But. No, it's, and oh, it's, it's a card game. Is it called set? I think that's what it's called. It's those different patterns. Is different patterns, different colors, different like sort of fills and textures. It's like a uh, it's a set matching game. You make sets of three, and you can make sets oh. across different sort of aspects of them. What's that game called? Set, right, right. Because there's an Egyptian god set. There is an Egyptian god assumed. set. Yeah, no. In this case, it's but this is a literal set. Yeah, okay. it's a set of cards. It's like a very abstract card game. And uh, this game Karma that came out is about. I think it's just like there's a bunch of numbered cards, and I think there's a few special cards. And it's just about like kind of playing cards on top of each other, and and then what happens is like either it's it's in a way it's kind of like war that like we're playing playing playing, and either I'm gonna have to pick up a pile of cards or you're gonna have to pick up a pile of cards at the end, and then and then it continues right. You put that on the bottom of your deck and you keep going. First player out of cards wins. So it's this. But what happens is like one of these two players every now and then is gonna be taking this pile of cards. And so but now I've got the cards and now I'm going to get these cards and yeah, I've got more cards than you, but sure. now I've got more, like, I've got more weaponry, you know, I've got more like tools at my disposal. And so what I just took is going to come back around and get them back to you. And they found that they had this flow to the game where it, basically the game had a lot of swinginess to it, you know, it could swing back and forth in terms of who's winning. And because of that swinginess, um, they thought, oh, it's kind of like what goes around comes around. And they named the game Karma based on that. Right. And I'm like, but, <laughs> but so many games have like this swing back and forth in them that like had never done that, had never chosen to use that name before, but these guys did. Uh, and then we, anyways, you know, done. Like they're an established game developer. We're not like, oh, we're not even going to try to like, you know, it's done. Like they, they, their game came out. So we're like, okay, we need another name. And um, holy, holy crap did we angst over, the, like, or, you know, brainstormed to death. And we probably had... Like many hundreds of alternate names, and I went through like I you know whittled it down. Like Dave, Dave and I, we, we whittled it down. So we made a yeah we made a, a list, a pull, an online poll, sent that out to a whole bunch of friends, in the hopes that we you know we would someone would either suggest something good or eventually like a winner would come out out of it. And mm-hmm. there was really no clear winner. There was a few games that rose to the top. Karmica was one of them. Eventually, we whittled that down, sent out another poll, and it. After months, months of brainstorming, and we let it sit for many months after that to see if we would change our minds on it. And we kind of went back and forth a few times. We eventually just settled on Karmica because we couldn't come up with anything better. To be sure. honest, I mean, I don't think it's a bad name, but I don't think it's it's a particularly good name either. So. I've kind of accepted it and I've gotten used to it and hopefully other people will as well. But I, I totally hear you when you say, eh. <laughs> All right, so I, I have here, and just, just 
just to put a bug in your ear, Uh-oh. because it's just as simple as, you know, you go to your edit Kickstarter page, just do a control H, and you could sub in any one of these titles if they grab you. I'm just going to go throw three at you. Okay. They might even be on your list already. Here you go. Feel free to use these or not. Uh, Shoot. From Dung Beetles to Demigods. Here's one. Here's another one. Cosmic Do-Overs. <laughs> and here's another one. This is the worst one, but I'm just throwing it in there. Reincarnation. Okay, that last one we definitely had on the list. Isn't that awful? <laughs> All though? Oh my the puns god! You can imagine <laughs> we're in that list. Um, so that one, that one didn't make the cut. Uh, the first one from Dung Beetles to Demigods. It's, it's, it's it, I, I like it. It's a little long. We we like our our titles is, to be a little a little shorter than that. But it's but the okay. And the, when we we were doing this naming. The dung beetle had yet to emerge as a bit of the mascot or icon for the game. Like, we've got a couple, like, you know, we've got some nice art, and, like, that's not the only thing. But, like, that has definitely emerged as one of the main kind of icons of the game. Well, what was the bottom level life, then, before the dung beetle? Or did you even have it at that We point? did not have the latter. Okay. The game started off as a pure points-based game, and the deck ran out. Whoever had the most points at that point won the game. And then we were like, yeah, it's missing something. The, the game ended felt anticlimactic and we were like we need a little something to juice this up and um took a little while i remember having a phone call one day with dave where he's like "Eh, idea for uh for this you know you go through these different these different like yeah reincarnation stages and like "Eh." anyway so that came out and it it tied it tied the structure of the game together it's also a really good way of sort of presenting the game right narratively it's like oh you you know it's a very it's a very clear sort of game structure now so. It's a good hook. You know, you tell somebody, hey, here's a game where you start as a dung beetle. Totally. Nobody's heard of a game like that before. That's, yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, no, my, we, that was thematically like way better than just a points-based game. And the dung beetle, yeah. who doesn't love a dung beetle? Well, I, I, I didn't have love for dung beetles before necessarily, but I've read a lot about them since, and I, I think they're awesome now. Well, yeah, it's not like who doesn't love one. It's who doesn't have an opinion or who doesn't immediately get a, 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 an image in his mind when you tell somebody a dung beetle. Exactly. Yeah, it's a very iconic character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, from, so Dung Beetle definitely emerges, you know, iconic, you know, icon or mascot kind of thing. And so, revisiting uh, the title with that in mind is a bad idea. Sure. What was the second uh, one? It was like cosmic. Oh, I, and I'm just teasing oh, you. These okay. co- cosmic do-overs because I kind of feel right. like, you know, okay, this round isn't working out so well. I'm gonna then set up my next round. Like, there's a certain point where you realize, okay, this life is lost. Uh, let, let, I'm going to get a do-over for the next hand. Let me try to set that up. One of the titles in the running, well, not not didn't get high up in the running, but on the list was uh, "Better Luck Next Life," <laughs> <laughs> which is See, amusing. That, that, makes but... think of like, that makes me think of like some early Sid Sachs game or something, <laughs> like, some little catchy title, yeah. like "I'm the Boss." Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so how do you then characterize and describe to people? And actually, the work has kind of been done for anybody who knows Magic the Gathering, but explain to me blue. What does blue mean? Yeah, it's, you know, the the, the quick answer is like wily and sly. Um, so basically, uh, there's a little bit of, um, uh, what is it, trickery, basically. It's trickery and knowledge, basically. Yeah. So and I can't take any issue with that, because that applies. Like, there, there's nothing, because all of, I mean, even the, the like, Longevity is a form of trickery, kind of, and so right. is, for instance, you know, using dwindle on yourself to get to reincarnation. True. Yeah, it's Every- more overt. It's like stealing things or, 
Yeah, mainly stealing things and gaining knowledge. And but but yeah, any form of knowledge in the game is in blue. There's no card outside of blue that gives you knowledge. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. As far as like looking at a card and uh, exactly and like Wait, peak is in there, swindle is in there, uh, destiny is in there. Isn't there one that lets you look at the top three cards? That's a blue of, card. Well, that's a blue Death card. Okay. Destiny, yeah. Perfect, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite cards is, so I mentioned um, discovering that longevity is a great tool for, for uh, either way. One of the cards that I seized on early, and I still love it, uh, Denial is one of my favorite mm. cards for how it subverts the whole idea of having to give someone a card you used against him or her. Like, that's a core gameplay thing, and I love that Denial breaks that, and it gives me an out. And the, the name, by the way, is so perfect for that. It's very rude. Like, like <laughs> it's denial. denial. Well, uh, we, it, originally that card was called Off the Record, and probably the okay. last card... That, that, sounds, that, sounds very, that sounds very clerical. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly the kind of feedback we got from a few people uh, that I kind, of, I, I kind of agreed with, which is why we, we ended up changing it. Like, that was the last uh, card title... Um, and card art change in the game was off the record, which had different art to Denial. And Denial just feels like a more kind of classical, you know, archetypal, really like a deep, a deeper thing than off the record. Yeah, off the record sounds like a very human institution kind of thing. Right, right, right. Yeah. Denial's way more cosmic. Exactly, yeah. So I, I haven't played nearly enough to be able to speak authoritatively about any sort of balance issues, and I wouldn't... But, but it seems to me that... Uh, you know, all the cards can be extremely effective at certain times. Um, specifically, what cards gave you the biggest headache in terms of tuning and, and fitting in to, to the game overall? Interesting. Um, denial a little bit, just because it does subvert. Like, there's this auto-balancing mechanic in the rule set, which is whatever I do, you get. So we don't have to worry about exactly balancing, like, the cost of a card, because the cost is just the other player gets it, and it's... And they're going to have the same thing, you know, just later. So it, it, it's a really nice thing as a game, game designer to have a mechanic like that in your game. Um, so that's, I mean, that took care of a fair bit. Um, another, but yeah, Denial subverts that. It's the only card that does, but it subverts it. So we just had to make sure that it doesn't, yeah, it, it, it wasn't too powerful. Uh, I do think, like, yeah, we, we feel like it's fine. Um, but it was just sort of like a, something, you know, uh, something we had to check. Uh there was an errata since the version that uh, from from the version that you've got. I'm not sure if I told you about it. It was one card, Voyage. It's a three point green card, which is just draw three cards from the well. Mm-hmm. And we just found it was too much of a slowdown. And like you would never use it because yeah, it's yeah. going to give the other guy uh, he's going to go quick more quickly. Well, you, yeah. well, it, it lets you draw three cards. Yeah, it's like it's it, it, that's it. Yeah, basically, it's in a game where you're trying to move quickly through your lives. Like sometimes you're like, oh, I just need a little more. And then that card is just what you know, just what you want to get you a few extra cards, more tools uh, in order to, you know, to, to get enough points this life. But uh, it was rarely, it was rarely worth that trade off of taking three more cards and slowing yourself down uh-huh. by three turns. And so we added some errata and there's a few cards in the game that have this where you could play another card after you've played them. So nor- sure. Nor- oh, yeah. yeah. So I, and and one one of the things I noticed too, Eddie, is that it, it seems like 
like very balanced. Like there's one of each color. Like what is That's it? Right. Peak, dwindle. I don't know what the green one yeah, is. Recycle. Panic. What, it, there's panic in red. Panic. Panic. There's another day in green, which is an entertaining, a bit of an entertaining right, right. story. And there's peak in blue. Yeah. And we added one. So we added that same thing to a three pointer, which we hadn't done before. But we decided it was the right move for this card. So Voyage is now draw three cards from the well. You may then play another card. So it has some acceleration to it. So you get three cards and you get to do one, one more, one of those three right away. And so sure. it's only a slowdown of two instead of three. And it gives you instant kind of access to some stuff. Right. So, right, right. and that feels a lot, uh, a lot better balanced. So that, and that was the last card we, th- that we tuned. Um, uh, tell me the story about another day. Sure. Yeah. So another day to, uh, a first-time player looks like a nothing card. And, in fact, it began as a nothing card. So I remember, like, you know, the, the, the balance between the colors, like, there's two three-pointers, three two-pointers, and two one-pointer in each of the colors. And there's the same frequency, like, there's two of each of the three-pointers and three of each of the two-pointers, you know. Anyways, I won't, I, I, you know, I won't try to make, yeah, it gets confusing. But, um we say confusing. I, I just, it's symmetry. Like there's it's, a yeah, there's, there's symmetry, symmetry there's a structure. The, exactly. There's a symmetry across yeah. all the colors. There's the exact same balance of point, of numbers in each of the colors. And I, I, Dave and I were having this conversation. We're like, we're trying to come up with like uh, this last slot for this uh, green one uh, one point green card. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we going to put? You know, what can we put in there? And then it was like, well, I'm just going to make it. You may draw another card and uh, play another card. <laughs> so it was like it does in a way. We were like, well, this does nothing. It just gets you to the next card. Oh yeah, you and, are kind of. Yeah, and then right. you can just play another card, right? So it's like it's an empty. It's a 100% empty card. And so we just thought it was a placeholder. And then we played with it, and we really liked the card. And it's funny the way that it interacts with the mechanics of the game because, um, so one of the things about one of the important considerations when you're playing is you want to make sure your future life has some good cards in it, or at least has some cards in it, because. You know, you, you draw your future life. When, you, when your life is over and you begin your new life, your future life becomes your hand. And any cards, like if you have fewer than six cards in that new hand, you get a deck. And that gets topped up so that you have six cards total across the two. And uh, the cards in your hand you can see, the cards in your deck you can't. And not only is it good to just have, to have good cards in your hand, but the knowledge of what your right. color distribution is and what tools you've got to work with that life is a really huge uh, benefit versus just having these cards. You're just top decking, right? You take a card. Now you have one card. What are you going to do with it? It's hard to say, yep. right? And yep. so having more cards in your future life, even if they're not the greatest cards in the world, can often still be a benefit. And this card just started bouncing back and forth between the players. Like, well, what am I going to do with this? I'm just going to play it, get another card, and go. And now you get to take another day into your future life. And so your future life gets fattened up with, like, another day or even two. There's three in the the deck. And so these things start going around, and they just start fattening uh, people's future lives up uh, in a way that we found really kind of helped or, like, helped balance the game. Uh, a little right, bit it's like the difference between an, a known or an unknown. It's like, okay, I know this is this is a little safe bit of padding, kind of. I hadn't even thought of it right. that like way. Y- yeah. You get your opening hand. Let's say you've got four cards in your hand now and two cards in your deck. But let's say two of those are another days. You can play another day, play another day, replace it with two more cards. Now you've got four cards for real in your hand, and you at least know yeah. what they are. They, yes, they were random cards. The another day swapped itself with a random card. But now you have that information, and that turns out that, that's still really useful. And then the other player, get, the other player gets the another days, 
And now they get to that next life. Right, so yeah. so oh, we like ended up keeping game. the cards. Yeah, yeah. Sorry? Yeah. I, that, that's making me see, yeah, because before, I, there are certainly cards that I've seen, and I'm like, well, I'm not really sure what to do with this. But, yeah, I think you've, you've convinced me that I now like another day. Yeah, <laughs> nice. yeah no, we, that, that's it. like I said, it's a placeholder, and then we're like, yeah, that's a keeper. So. Uh, should Jubilee be nerfed? Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Jubilee is possibly the best card in the game. It is a, it is an awesome card, but the other player does get it right. That's true. That you know that is you mentioned before. It makes your life as a game designer easier in that you, you, you it's not that you don't need to balance anything, but yeah, if there's something powerful. The other guy gets it as well, so there's your balance right there. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't circuit. Doing denial on a Jubilee, getting a couple of these down, scoring your points, I like that is like a, okay. That's that's, that's a combo, yeah. That's a power combo move, yeah. So that's that's possibly one of the most powerful combos in the game. Uh, So I hear you. It's powerful. Um, you're not by the way, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying nerf it. It's just, yeah. it's just no, it's a, no, it's a totally. Like, you, yeah. you, get, you clearly get the game if you're asking that question. Jubilee is probably the most powerful card in the game. And it doesn't look like it to a first-time player. Right, But, right. but it is, yeah. Uh, tell me about uh, how Embody and Mimic came about. Of course, they're wild colors. Um, yeah. They can be super powerful. They can be super effective. Uh, tell me, were, were those part of the design throughout? Did you feel they needed to fill a gap that was there? How did, how did those come about? Cool. Uh, yeah, so a bit of history, going back to Karma V1, uh, we had multicolor cards. We had green-red, we had green-blue, we had red-blue. We, still, we mm-hmm. still had those same three colors, and you had these multicolor cards, and they were worth points in multiple colors. But you could still only score one color per life, so it's kind of like hedging your bets a bit. Like, I get one red point and two blue points out of this. Uh, or it has some ability that's a bit of a combo of those two personalities. Anyway, so we had some cards like that, and then when we went to to this simpler version uh, in Karmica, we um, we cut the multicolored cards, but we thought, oh, you know, a little something like that would be nice. And so the the compromise and simplification there was just a few one point wild cards. We actually embody, or was it mimic? Mimic or embody was worth two points. Uh, at one point. Because and, you felt it needed to be boosted? or what, Yeah, what? yeah, we just felt that ability is really awesome. We need to, yeah, that, you know, it, so one of the balancing factors in the game is the number and the ability. And right. they're, they're, they, we want them to be proportional. Um, as long as they're proportional, we feel like it's, it's, it's the game, that's one of the key things about balancing the game. And so uh, we thought this is a more powerful ability, let's make it a two-pointer. When we were like, well, we can't make a 1.5-pointer, but that's kind of what this feels like. We ended up, <laughs> we ended up lowering them both down to one-pointers. We actually nerfed Mimic to some extent. Mimic used to be you can copy any of your rival's deeds. And we, we nerfed it a bit to say it's only the top, their exposed, um, their exposed deed that you can copy. But anyway, oh, oh, sure, sure. yeah, so we ended up sort of, to some extent, simplifying things and having these wild cards, so it's just worth up one point in any color, and their abilities are copying another card. One of the, the, the reasons Embody is in there, or sort of an additional reason on top of, like, just this idea of wild cards, we're like, oh, it's cool. We ran some stats also. We ran a lot of stats, and uh, just to figure out, you know, are these wild cards 
too powerful. What's the probability of a player, let's say, in their opening hand, opening life, getting four, at least four points in one color? And the, like, the answer is like 99 point something percent. So we know that it's really hard to get unlucky enough that you can't even run up from Dung Beetle. But anyways, it's a bit of a tangent. So with Embody, uh, one of the reasons, and we used to have three and three, three Embodies, three Mimics. Then we went to four and two, and then we went to five and two. And the five, the, the Embodies, there's five of them, which is, you know, there's no other card. Like, the maximum number of any other card is three. Mm-hmm. There's five of this thing. And um, the reason we did that was because we felt like it enabled some more strategic play in the sense that you could score a deed, like you could score a Jubilee, you could score a Spite, you know, you can score some of these big three-pointers. And it's like you've done these deeds, and, it's you know, there's a bit of a... Bit of a question there is like, what do these deeds represent? And like, okay, I've got all these red cards on the table. I've scored all, you know, sorry, scored all these red points, and that means I'm not playing violently. You know, it's a bit of a, a bit of a, a funny thing. And we have a, we have ways of sort of like thinking about that, like thematically. But it's a bit, it's a bit of a backbend. Um, but what Embody did was it allowed you to let's say play a very red life or a green life or a blue life, and then embody that with this one pointer and sort of reap the benefits of these deeds that you've got on the table. And so we felt that that thematically and strategically added, uh, added some nice, yeah, some nice elements to the game. Sure. Sure. Uh, what, uh, one, one of the thematic things that I like that you've done, um, for the most part is, uh, do, do you know the game Netrunner at all? The <laughs> Yes. I do. Okay, so it sounds like yeah. So, so you know, in Netrunner, they they give every element like a cool name. Like there's your deck and your rig and your R and D. I know what you're you know, going to say. Do it. Yeah. Okay. So you've got you've got deeds. You've got a future life. You've got the well. You've got the ruins. Mm-hmm. And then you have a deck and a hand. Like what? yeah, uh, sort of like you've got these cool thematic things, and you guys ran out of cool names for stuff. So okay, here's your deck and your hand. Well, what, what's going on there? Yeah. So there is a uh, a cost there's a theme versus cost thing going on there in terms of like you know uh mental bandwidth that people have as a designer like i would rather use deck and hand because everybody knows out of the box what that means they don't have to learn some new terminology (laughs) but what do you call that discard pile which is these cards you're going to get in your next life there's not really an existing, you know, you could call that your your personal discard pile or something, but it's like, I mean, Future Life for that one, that was the first named sort of region in the game just because it made so much uh-huh. sense to have that. Uh-huh. Um, the next one was uh, The Well. Just because you have your personal deck and then there's this sort of central deck. And this is something right. I don't see in, in I, I don't know if I've seen this in, in any other game. Um, where there's, two, like, you have, yeah, a personal deck and the central deck. And so we decided to rename the central deck. So you've got your own deck. And we decided to rename the central one to make sure that, like, people don't confuse them. And we called it the well, the source of all cards, you know. So we felt like, okay, right. that that works too. And then uh, and then the only other one, well, okay, so there's two more. Deeds. Deeds was, a, Deeds was one that we um, brainstormed quite a while on. Um there's kind of a Deeds, by the way, it's super intuitive. Like that that's one of the easiest parts to sort of explain is that this is this is the sum of your current life that right. you're gonna cash in to yeah. So exactly. that way. Okay, okay, cool. I, I, there, there is an ambiguous meaning for the word, right? There's like title and deed, you know, like these these physical things oh. that you have that show your ownership of something. Yeah, and again, so, so that's 
that's so clerical. Like I don't, I don't even yeah, think of the game fair in those terms. Well, yeah, no, yeah. It, it's it's sort of like a secondary meaning, but there is that one right, in addition right. to the deeds that you've done this life. Right. Uh-huh. But it's also sort of a way. You know, we, I kind of liked that in, because these are things that are sitting there on the table demonstrating what you've done. You know. So, anyways, whatever. It's a bit of a tangent. And then finally, the ruins. The ruins is. It used to be called the trash. Okay. Uh, and that was again one of the last thing, one of the last name changes that we made in the game. It was called the trash for a long time. I still sometimes accidentally call it the trash, uh, just because the trash was like, yeah, it's a discard pile. Things get trashed and they go into the trash, and it felt like you know the the rest of the sort of high concept of the game, um, and then it has this thing called the trash in it. And we just felt like it was a little. Um, it's mundane. A yeah, little mundane, yeah. And yeah so we, we, it's we, not we, cosmic at all. Yeah. Yes, we renamed it the ruins, which feels a lot more, yeah, a lot more mythic or, yeah, a lot more, like, yeah, cosmic, uh, timeless. So in terms of, yeah, having this mix of some named and some non-named, we just, we named the ones we felt like we should name, like we kind of right. needed to name, or if there was, like, a really strong natural name that fit it. But we didn't, right. like, I think, like, when I'm, when I'm wor- working on the card abilities, and naming cards, uh, you know, like we have this like flavor. Every card's got a name. When 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 I'm thinking about those types of things, I have a bit of a narrative structure or like a symbology to what your deck and what your hand represents. Mm-hmm. But we never named those those regions anything other than deck and hand. Uh, I, I, your hand, I kind of see as your your like the current moment, you know, of your life. Like it's the present. And then your your deck, I just see as you know the rest of your life that you don't know about. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? But it's like that's right. it's just this like what's to come that you can't you can't see or or know right now. And right. so uh, we used to have cards that let you draw from your deck versus draw from the deed, and those cards were more introspective or, or a little more. Um, mystical almost because it's like a way of looking into your own future whereas cards let you draw draw from the deck that was more like oh i'm just i'm just experiencing more of the world this is just stuff that's out there and those would be cards like voyage right or like right, you know right. an expedition or a voyage or something where you're yeah you're going off into the world and so there's a lot of i guess probably quite subtle uh, thematic like names and art that show up as a result of the, these sort of underlying, you know, I guess, like you know, meanings in the game that don't that, that aren't explicit. Well, let's uh, and before I, and then I, I want to ask you one more thing, and then talk briefly about the actual campaign, which is going great, by the way. Uh, tell me about. I'm always interested in how designers work with their artists. Uh, obviously, you're not an artist. I mean, a lot of designers don't know how to draw, so they have to hire an artist, and mm-hmm. uh, they have to communicate with them. Uh, your artist is, uh, I believe, Marco Bucci? Am I saying Marco that right? Marco Bucci. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. What, also, uh, also Lane huh? Brown, who did uh, he did a couple of pieces as well, and he did some, some beautiful work too. So, But Marco, Marco did all of the cards as well as the box, and Lane okay. did the, the ladder as well as the rings. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, oh, I didn't realize that the ladder was someone separate because the ladder fits in so well. He did a great job Woo-hoo. of, 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 of really mixing did. with Marco's artwork. Absolutely, yeah, he great. did. I spent a lot of time uh, hunting around for an artist that I thought would fit in well, given Marco's style. Marco basically, you know, he essentially kind of was running low on time. <laughs> we had to find another artist to do a few pieces, uh-huh. including sure. the ladder. Good. And uh, took a, I did a lot of hunting around... Um, 
before finding Lane and am I ever happy? I, I you know I found him because he's he did an amazing job with that. Yeah, and totally fits in with the style and it's gorgeous. And one of the things I love about the latter too is. Uh, you know, when you put that on the table in front of people that you're about to play the game with, it's immediately apparent what's going on. Yeah. You know, you're down here, you want to be up there. Like, visually, it's like, oh, I want to get to there. The numbers between the divides, you know, it doesn't go three, six, twelve. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, it's just very straightforward, very simple, super intuitive. You put that in front of people on a table, they immediately have a, a a basic framework for what's going to happen. Right. And I love that in a game, like where, where I don't have to do the work because you've done it for me. Right. Um, yeah, no, it definitely, it sort of presents the narrative and the, yeah. like the, yeah, the, the, the structure of the game. So uh, tell me then how you work with, with, with Marco and, and I'm sorry, was it, it was Leon, right? Marco and Lane. Lane, Lane. Uh, how do you work with them? What do you say to them when you start the design? Uh, tell me about how you work with them. Uh, sure. Well, Marco is uh, is a friend of Dave's. They both live in Toronto. Um, and we had been talking with Marco for a while about working on a game together before, uh, you know, this concept for Karmica, uh, a little bit of back and forth. And then at one point when we were working on Karmica, even before it was called Karmica, um, uh, Dave suggested, hey, why don't we ask Marco to work on this? And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. And anyway, so that's how, and, and Marco was interested, and that's how we got up and running with him. Uh, and then it was basically Dave and him had lunch. He showed him the cards. We already had a pretty solid V1 of the game in terms of gameplay and whatnot. And so, and the cards had titles. And Marco at first just started off um, purely inspired on, like, the concept of the game and the titles of the cards and just went off into two cards from, you know, Dave and I had also uh, brainstormed a fair bit on the style that we wanted to shoot for. And so he presented that stuff to Marco as well. And then based on all that information, Marco went off and painted the first couple of cards, which were really cool. We ended up deviating from that style somewhat. And so there was a lot of back and forth um, before we really, you know, fully settled in on it. But, um, yeah. I mean, it was a real combination of some stuff purely came out of Marco, just from a title and an ability and, you know, basic theming. And then some stuff was down to level of detail where I was sending individual, um, you know, like images, basically reference images of like something like this meets this meets this. Right, right. You know, right. and a including some backstory. Like each, I basically did an email per card, with, which was like backstory on each card, which is like, here's what it means in the game. Here's mechanically mm -hmm. how it can be used. Here's some concepts. Here's, here's some ideas for some art concepts. And sometimes he would run with those, and sometimes he would come back with something totally different. And sometimes it was like, that is awesome, and sometimes it was like, that's not going to work. And then, yeah, we'd revisit. So some cards got banged out super quick, and other ones took a decent number of iterations. Marco just, um, a couple weeks ago, and we just posted this yesterday, he did uh, um, an art retrospective on our blog. So if you're interested in taking a look at that, and I definitely anyone who's interested in art process, I'd say take a look at that. He's got a whole bunch of different versions of the cards, like of the of the art of the cards on oh, that right, uh, right. blog post. And it's, uh, it's sort of for me, you know, for us, it's like trip down memory lane. But uh, I think it's like an interesting piece on, on the, uh, the whole art process. So, so Lane's, uh, Lane, Lane's Ladder was obviously a standout experience for you guys to, to see that, see how well it worked. Can you think of, a, of an example where Marco provided you guys something that particularly stood out as an, oh, wow, this is a great moment? Like, is there one of them that, that you guys were particularly surprised by how it turned out? 
Um, which one? There's a decent number of them. Uh, dil- uh, <laughs> sorry, I was about to say Dilemma. There is no card called Dilemma. It's now called Crisis. So it's funny, you know, like, yeah, like, Dwindle um, is the one of the, uh, the candle, sort of the right, guttering right. candle. Uh, I mean, I, I had basically sent a concept to him saying, yeah, something like maybe a candle kind of like dwindling, you know, getting near the end of its life. And he came back with something and I just thought, that's beautiful. Uh, you know, and that was pretty much, we went with his V1. He did a couple of minor tweaks to it, but we went with his V1 and that was that. Uh, and he didn't, there was a number of cards, like sewing was another one like that, where he just did something where like, all right, ship it. Or, or very, very close to it. Uh, some other ones were like, hey, how about this? And then he would come back with something else, which uh, in some cases was like, yeah, just totally awesome. Uh, which one? Well, I mean, the box art kind of worked out that way. We did a bit of riffing back and forth. He sent four concepts. And then none of them were quite right. Then we did a little more riffing. And then he just said, here's, a, here's another one. And Dave and I both looked at that like other one. And that was the box now, art. <laughs> you know, we were like, like, that's amazing. So Now, the prototype you've sent out is the size of a normal game box. Is that what you're actually uh, publishing this in, like a, a normal size game box? It's going to be, yeah, no, so it's not going to be a tuck box. It's, the, the one that you've got is a little bit of a funny shape. Um, it's not going to be quite that flat, like that thin, but it's not going to be have quite as large a footprint. It's going to be sort of munchkin-sized. Okay. It's going to be like eight and a half... Eight and a half by seven and a half by one and three quarter inches. Uh-huh. Okay. So definitely okay. like bigger than a tuck box or like some of these small games that are out there, but not like a full, you know, it's not like a seven right. wonder sure. size or anything like that. Right, right, right. Uh, so um, the, the the campaign you started, it's you you hit your goal on the very first day, I think, uh, and it's all it's going very well from here. I'm not the least bit surprised given the strength of, of the design. Um, however. With with a game that is this intricate and kind of honed, um, it, it seems like stretch goals. Like I see a lot of times a board game where stretch goals seem like game design elements. Like mm-hmm. a stretch goal is something like, dude, either put that in there, or don't put that in. There. That's a design decision, mm-hmm. and you're making it a business decision. Uh, you must have had a tough time coming up with stretch goals here. And we I, I did, think. we did, yeah. Um... I'd say that, well, I have a, yeah, I have a bit of a, you know, a mixed relationship with stretch goals. Um, some people love them, uh, and some people don't, you know, and then it was like how many and all the rest of it. And like, how important is that? Like, I, I totally agree with you. Like, I just want, you know, it's the designer's job to make the game and then I get to play it, you know, for the most part. And I don't generally, I mean, I have a, you know, I guess designer brain, you know, like I like thinking about these things. Um, and I love having conversations with friends like who are designers about their game, but I, you know, when I go on like and see a Kickstarter campaign and then there's this huge conversation, it's a bit, it becomes a bit designed by committee and that I don't want to participate in design by committee so much. Um, on, so it was, you know, in a way designing the stretch goals or yeah stretch goals on a project is like additional design work not it it doesn't take off the load of design work for a game you know if anything it adds to it even though it means you have to have less design already done (laughs) you know because now it's like okay i have to design these things that won't ruin the game you know Mm -hmm. but if they don't make it in it'll still be a good game and so we've had, we actually have very little in the way of gameplay affecting stretch goals. We had one, which was a couple of variants, which we'd been working on. So we're like, okay, variants, 
that's an add-on, right? We don't have to do that. And, you know, in a way, it's just kind of like the extra work of making, of just playtesting, making sure that they're bulletproof right. and making room in the rules. And so it's like not a huge deal to do them, but if they don't make it in also, we can always just tell people about them digitally after. So that, that was the kind of thing yeah. where we, we can make that a stretch goal with no, with no great loss if it didn't make it. But for the most part, yeah, stretch goals is just component, uh, mostly component upgrades, some art prints that we're about to put out uh, or sure. yeah so you know but at the same time you want the stretch goals to be participatory for the backers um, you know part of the excitement of Kickstarter is to some extent participating in you know the creation you know and like the the uh, you know it's funding the dream right and so right, right. Um, this, this next one we're going to do is actually going to be a poll and we're going to put 10 pieces of uh, card art out there for people to vote on and the top two we're going to turn into art prints that people will be able to sure. buy. So we yeah, figure yeah. that's the kind of thing, no damage, you know, no possible damage to the game there, but it's still something that the, yeah, like backers get to participate in and get to make some decisions on. Right, right. Uh, did you, uh, and, you know, no need to be modest here, but did, didn't you kind of know, like, did you know it was going to take off as quickly as it did? Was I that... had no idea. Well, I mean, you hope, right? And you do Everything you can, you like, you know, we did our like Dave and I have been working tirelessly for a long time now. <laughs> um, well, maybe not tirelessly, but a lot. <laughs> we, do get, we do we do get tired, <laughs> but uh, we've been working a lot preparing this um, uh, this campaign, right? And, well, preparing the game, and then the campaign is this whole layer on top of it. And um, so, yeah, you know, we've done our best to present the game, you know, to make the best game we can, to present it as well as we can. But, you know, beyond friends and family, you really ha- – and that only goes so far – you really have no idea how many people are going to be interested in it. And, like, we set a goal of 20,000. I was like, okay, I know we're going to hit 5,000 because at the very least friends and family get us there. But 10,000, I'm not sure, you know, like it depends who shows up. And 20,000, it, it, was, it was really um, – it's, it's, it's funny. You just have – you really have no way of knowing – I mean, if you've run several campaigns before, and like you're an established um, tabletop developer, this is your fifth campaign. Your first four have all funded and have all done. You know, plus, you know, each one is let's say twenty percent more than the last one. It's like right. you've got, you know, you've got much better handle on what your numbers are likely likely to look like. We really had no idea. So that first day must have been simultaneously thrilling and exhausting. Is exactly what it was. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, congratulations on how it did turn out. I, for one, am not the least bit surprised. You've got <laughs> a fantastic concept. Um, it's one, So every now and then I'll get sent a, a prototype, and I'll sort of play it and fiddle with it and uh, sort of see how it's going to turn out. And then I'll put it down and wait until the, the finished product is out. Uh, this is in our rotation. Like, th- this, th- this is not going to get put away <laughs> until the actual thing comes out. What you've given me here, I will be playing until you give me a different copy. Uh, and, <laughs> nice. and there are almost no prototypes I can say that about. So, wow. uh, awesome. so I am not surprised it's done as, as well. And uh, congratulations. You've, Thank you. Uh, Thank you you very certainly much. deserve the success. Awesome. So, Thanks so much. Uh, 
And uh, also congratulations to uh, just to, to see, he's come up a few times, but Dave Burke. Yeah. Um, is your uh, co-designer? Like, what do you guys call it? Like developer designer? What, what do you... Yeah. You know, we come from digital uh, video game land for the most part. I mean, we've always kind of tinkered. And, you know, had a love of the tabletop as well. But uh, this is our first you know, published tabletop, or it will be our first published tabletop game. But uh, coming from video game land, we tend to call ourselves developers. But people in tabletop uh, don't seem to use that term so much, so they call themselves know, it's designers. Weird. But it's like, we do a lot more than design. <laughs> you know, well, we kind of do everything. It's like you're a small business owner, right? And you're a marketer, and you're this and that, whatever. Right, so. right. You know, developer feels a little more all-encompassing. So anyways, but yes, Dave is... Uh, pretty much share. We, we just share credits on, on everything on this project. Uh, right. We started cool. working on it together and, and you know, co-designed lots of good brainstorming conversations. And we're, we live like thousands of kilometers apart. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. You mentioned he was in Toronto, and I didn't know if that meant you were as well. No. But you guys are like telecommuting to work together. I we guess. do a lot of conversations, a lot of phone calls. Yeah, he's one of my uh, favorite numbers on my cell plan, so I can call him for free <laughs> day and night. <laughs> So we and we make good use of that. So yeah, we 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 talk a lot, you know, between Skype and phone and lots of you know and you know IMing here and there and emails and all the rest of it. We 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 communicate pretty well or, or very well. We, Dave's a great guy. I mean, we we uh, we met in grad school and um, lived together. We were roommates uh, with ah. with a couple of other guys. There was four of us. Uh, well, five after after a little while. Anyways, great group of guys that uh, we lived together in grad, going to grad school together um, in Vancouver, and uh, we've been good friends ever since. And then we started working together on Osmos in 2008. Going back a while, we've been working closely together for quite a while. Anyways, Dave's been great. It's been so great uh, having him. Uh, uh, to work with throughout the whole project. It's like, you know, you could just sit in your own little silo and like ask yourself the same questions over and over or just bounce stuff off each other. And uh, we we have sort of like complementary skills, I would say, in addition to like sort of seeing things often in the same way. And so it works out, works out well. Well, and I can imagine how gratifying it must be if you guys both come from video game development where it's, you know, a huge, a much larger scale and you're working with a lot of different people and a lot of different teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for me, I've always thought, you know, the definition of success isn't necessarily that you're rich, but that you're working with people that you like and that you choose to work with. I mean, that's it's an incredible gift for anybody, and, and you guys must be enjoying it very much. Totally. Yeah, no, he's like, you know, above, and above all, like, great friend, and so it's, yeah, no, it's been right. awesome. Uh, I am a lucky guy getting to just chat with Dave every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, again, congratulations. Um, listeners, I, I encourage you guys, uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, this is a really cool game. I, I heartily recommend it. Um, and I can't wait to see what number you end up at. Uh, <laughs> Us too. It's got to be exciting. Yeah, so. right. We're projecting flight patterns and glide, glide slopes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for talking to me today, Eddie. And, uh, and again, congratulations. Thank you very much. One of the reasons I, I really... Uh, appreciate Karmica, uh, and and that I'm I'm happy to recommend it heartily. Uh, it's a, it belongs in a niche that can be difficult to fill that I really appreciate, and that is two player games that are easy to learn and quick to play, and have some long term depth, and are thematically evocative, um, and aren't just some weird little Euro thing where. Uh, 
I recall a friend of mine showing me a game about, I think the subject, it might have been a Days of Wonder thing, the subject was balloon races, like racing dirigibles across terrain. And I thought, oh, that sounds awesome, bring that over, I want to try that sometime. And it was just so abstract, and I seem to recall it was like a color-matching puzzle. Um, so as far as two-player games, and, and, and their situations, those of us who, who play board games, you'll find yourself in a situation where one of your buddies has showed up, uh, and a lot of the times, you know, I have no problem hanging out with my friends, waiting for us to reach critical mass, see who's going to come over, see who's going to join us for a board game. Uh, but sometimes, while you're waiting for someone, it's nice to have a, a little uh, a little filler game to play with someone else. Or, as more often happens with me, you have a board gaming night, you've got four or five buddies over, you play a, a, couple, a meaty game, maybe you get in a couple of them, it's awesome, and people start to, to drift out. People have to work the next day, or people are on different sleep schedules. And sometimes you're left with just one guy. And rather than play some weird little abstract thing about racing balloons or something, it's nice to have a, a meaningful, brief, well-paced game that two people can sit down and play. So in addition to Karmica, uh, which uh, it's a Kickstarter, it won't be out for a while, so be patient, uh, I, I want to recommend three other games that, that fill that same niche that I really enjoy and that I've had in the, the rotation for quite a while. Uh, the newest game in, in this in this little niche, it is called Rise of Cthulhu. It also came from a Kickstarter. Uh, it's got some issues with the rules being a little wonky, but if you're willing to go to Board Game Geek and maybe check out a couple of threads, everything gets explained well enough. Uh, but Rise of Cthulhu is very much on... It's that pattern like Battle Lines, that Rainer Knizia game, where I lay down cards on one location and you lay down cards on the other side of the location and we're fighting to control that location. But the cool thing that Rise of Cthulhu does is it introduces just enough Lovecraft mythos and just enough chaos and craziness with these god cards and god powers. Uh, you shuffle in old ones, like the, the gods, and, and when they come up in the course of regularly drawing cards, they really mix up the game. And, and uh, eventually, when you play, three of these gods will have come out. Uh, I think there are eight included in the game. You're never entirely sure which three will come out. And in addition, there's a, a monster deck with uh, creatures from Lovecraft Mythos that have these different powers. So it's a very straightforward kind of abstract numbers-matching game, like Battle Line, but it adds very Lovecraftian flavor to it. So that's one I would recommend. Uh, and I believe the creator just started a, a Kickstarter for his new expansion for it. Um, so uh, Rise of Cthulhu, in addition, another one, uh, and these two I've had in, in rotation far longer. Uh, one of them is uh, a little board game called, uh, oh shoot, what is it? Oh, Lord of the Rings, The Confrontation. And it's basically Stratego, and this one was made by Reino Canizia. Uh, and, and unlike some of his designs, it's not a puzzle game. It's not, a, it's not an abstract game with a theme put on it that feels a little forced. Uh, say what you will about Reiner Knizia, his, his mechanics can be brilliant, but sometimes the theming seems a little uh, like an afterthought. Definitely not the case with Lord of the Rings The Confrontation. It's a two-player game played on a board, a very small board representing Middle-earth, and you're basically playing Stratego, but instead of the little stand-up figures just having dry numbers, and there's, I think, you know, in Stratego you have a bomb and a spy or whatever, each piece 
is a unique character from The Lord of the Rings, and each piece, furthermore, has an absolutely unique gameplay mechanic that is also very thematic. And there are even little gameplay exceptions on the board itself that are thematic. Uh, the, the good player, I forget what they call him, the free, well, you know, the hobbit side, the, the good guys, they can use the river Anduin to move horizontally on the board, where the evil player can never do that. The good player can also cut through the mines of Moria. It's a little shortcut through the difficult mountain parts. Uh, however, if the evil player happens to have the Balrog sitting on that space, the good player is dead. So there's a little bluffing there. Is he putting the Balrog there, or is he trying to trick me? Uh, Lord of the Rings, The Confrontation. Great theming, and boy does it hold up. Uh, you know, you can, this is one of those games that you can play a hundred times, and the cat and mouse aspect of it, the, the bluffing, the sort of player psychology, uh, there's a lot of room for that to come out. And it's over very quickly. Very short game, very easy to teach. Finally, I think my favorite two-player, less than 30-minute game, uh, and this one is going to be more obscure, is called Cold War. Actually, where is the box? I brought it in here, because uh, that's not entirely what it's called. Dadgummit. I guess I didn't bring it in here. Uh, it's called something, I think it's a Cold War, colon, CIA versus KGB. Now, you can find, I think it's Fantasy Flight. You can, you can find this. There's a first edition that if you can find, you should definitely get, because it has oversized cards. It's got an actual uh, plastic poker chip thing in there that you use for a marker. Um... I was disappointed to order what I thought was the first edition. I got a second edition, which instead just has little cardboard tokens. All the cards are playing card-sized. That's fine. The dynamics are... The the mechanics are no different. Uh, So here is Cold War and what I like about it. You're basically playing against another player, Blackjack. You have numbered cards. You draw a card. You play it to your side. And you were trying to get closest to 21 without going over. Each time you draw a card, you add it. You know, am I close to 21? Do I want to hold? The other player is doing the same on his side. You take turns adding cards to your little row. The trick is it's it's not always 21 points. The number of points you're trying to reach, and furthermore, the number of cards in which you can do it, is determined by the country that you are fighting over. So, and that that's the strategic level of the game. In Blackjack, you know, the strategic level is, hey, how how much money do I have? In Cold War... The strategic level is how many points is this country worth? And when you fight for a country, whoever gains control of it gets a certain number of points. First person to, I think, 100 points wins the game. Uh, So the country is determining the parameters of what number you're trying to reach and how many cards it takes to reach that number. Imagine blackjack, where sometimes you want 17, sometimes you want 9 points, sometimes you want 21. This is that. Uh, So the cards, however, that you're playing with... And this is where the theming in Cold War is so awesome. The cards you're playing with come in four colors, or suits. One represents economy, one represents, I'm going to screw this up, the military, one represents the media, and one represents the thing that's not the economy, the military, or the media. Oh, shoot a monkey, what is that last one? Uh, well, I didn't bring it in here, so I can't read it. At any rate, trust me, there's four suits. Uh, when you draw, and, and the numbers are from 1 to yeah, 10, 9, 7. <laughs> At any rate, there's a fixed number. Uh, so when you, you draw a card, it's going to have a number. Very straightforward. That's what you're using to get close to the required points for that country. But each suit, the card has a special power 
based on the suit. For instance, the Military One, and this is why I wished I'd brought it in here so I could tell you what exactly the cards were. Uh, the Military One might be gorillas, and they have the same power as the Military Nine, which might be the generals, and they all have a unique name. Uh, and that power is you can tap it or turn it over, or whatever, you, you show that you've used it, to destroy any other card. So if you go over, imagine in Blackjack, you're like, hit me, and oops, you hit 22. Imagine if any heart card you could tap to then destroy something, and now you're under 22, and you've got a second chance there. Or furthermore, imagine the other player hits 21 exactly, you can tap your heart card to knock out one of his cards, and now he's got to draw again. Uh, so that's one of the cool gimmicks in Cold War. All the military cards have that ability. The economy cards can untap a card. So let's say the one of economies is, uh, I don't know, the, the fruit merchants, uh, and the nine economy is banks, and everything in between has a name. You can tap an economy card to untap another card. So, if I've got that military and an economy, my economy supports my military. So it's, it's a very clever interplay there. Uh, the media lets you tap it to look at the top card of the draw deck. Imagine if you could do that in blackjack. You're playing blackjack, you need 21, you're at 16, do you stand, do you hit? I think the rules are you're supposed to hit, I don't, I don't know, forget blackjack, I don't, I'm not into that. But, imagine if you're at 16 and you could tap any of the spades to look at the top card on the deck. Man, wouldn't blackjack be much easier? However, your opponent has that same ability, of course. Uh, so this is Cold War. Basically, blackjack, where every card has a special ability, the rounds go as quickly as a hand of blackjack, but the overarching game is you play several hands to see who can capture the, mo the countries to get them to the most points first. And then furthermore, in these countries... There are special power cards that you fight for, like there's an Olympics card, there's a space race card, all very thematic, and you capture it. There's a, there's a, uh, I think even a, a nuclear, what is it, a nuclear escalation card, where if you capture this, it's yours. You can use it at any time to burn all the military cards on the table. The idea being that, that the, the threat of nuclear war has been so escalated that the military stands down. Uh, so Cold War is, this, and it's a great two-player game, easily my favorite thing to play with two players at the table. So I heartily recommend that. So there you go. I encourage you to support uh, Karmica. Uh, pick up a copy of Cold War, Lord of the Rings, The Confrontation, and uh, Rise of Cthulhu. And you will never be wanting for something to do when it's just you and one other guy waiting for everyone else to arrive, or everyone else has gone home and you're not quite ready to call it a night. There you go. I hope that's some help for you. Uh, thanks for listening this week, and uh, we'll see everyone here next week.